Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. This is actually part two of what we did last week. And after we were done last week, we started talking and just hit record again and kept talking and kept talking for the another like to do. <laughs> another hour. And so <laughs> this was actually in the same vein. So if you haven't listened to last week's, go listen first. But we're going to talk a little more about baptism for the dead and also uh, some other things that, um, oh, traditions or, or things that uh, in our history that is hard hard to make mesh with the Word of God, such as uh, multiple gods and things that came out uh, in an old sermon that uh, supposedly Joseph preached if it was recorded correctly, but it doesn't matter because we have the wonderful book, Corey, the Book of Mormon, that um, any revelation, any new news on the God uh, topic of God in eternity and spiritual things has to measure up to the gospel that's been given plainly to us. And so if it doesn't, uh, then our salvation doesn't lie in that. It lies in the Word of God. Yeah, and I'm, I'm so thankful we can talk about this here freely and openly. Remember that time we were at Starbucks, Mike, and it was a it was a pre-COVID time. No one was with masks. The place was packed, and we were sitting at that table where another gentleman was seated right next to us. And as we're talking about the gospel the way we like to, he finally stops and interrupts, interrupts us and says, can you guys not talk so loud? <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> remember that? Yeah. And you were you were so polite, and you're like, hey, it's all good. And so I think we got talking again, and he said, oh, you guys are talking too loud. And it's like, <laughs> so we, we enjoy this podcast where we can talk loud if we want to. We can be excited, and uh, and we thank you all for listening. You should have just reached over with your Swiss Army knife and turned his <laughs> hearing aid down a little bit because it was up way too loud. I think it was. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, no, we're, we're thankful we're we can speak freely. And again, these are two guys having a conversation. And uh, sometimes we talk about things that um, are things that everyone wants to hear. Sometimes we talk about things that are interesting to us and, and they're things we have questions about. And sometimes they might not seem edifying because it pushes their comfort zone. But again, we're, we're two friends and we, we like to open up the things of eternity. So we're glad you're here with us. Yes. So here we go. I'm going to hit play and we're going to... Um just listen to the second part of our conversation from last week. When you get into this arena of foundations and um, the Word of God, I can see people would make the point that, well, why is the Book of Mormon the Word of God and the Doctrine and Covenants isn't? Like, why, why, is, the, um, why is Nephi and Mormon, why does their word trump uh, a modern-day prophet, Joseph Smith. And I think if you take that logic, then you have to look at the Latter-day Saint faith where the prophets can change or that the modern-day prophet trumps everything, you know, what he says. Mm-hmm. And previous scripture has to line up with uh, what's already been given. And I, I realize God... He says, line upon line, precept upon precept. But at some point, 
you have to realize that, well, when God says, I've given you the fullness of my gospel, that has to mean something to us that we can rely on that and that there's not some secret yet to be revealed. Yeah. And that's why the parallelisms and the the poetry and things that you continually find in the Book of Mormon, though it's it's not it's it solidifies the fact that that was written in the style that God uses when He speaks to people. Yes, yes. And you know, I I like the, how you said that. My, I, I can't articulate this, but there's something about when something is put into these parallelisms that are sometimes multiple parallels on top of other parallels. Um, there's something about it that self, um, I'm struggling for the right word, that just, it, I don't know, it, it, it just, it verifies it. it, it um, if I think long enough, I, I'll think of the word. But there's like this internal check that when the, when the parallelisms show these ideas in parallel in different words in different places, but they, they add meaning and sometimes using different words, it augments and enhances the meaning through a parallelism. It it just makes it all cogent and cohesive and, and it just rings of truth. I think there's so much to be gained if we can see these parallels by, because it enhances our learning. Now, when you take something that's just totally different and off the wall, like all of a sudden this baptism for the dead, you know, I, I don't know. There's a, there's nothing even in history. There, there's no, um, like in the old Testament, old law, there was, a uh, some, something they did like killing a lamb physically. Well, that represented Jesus dying spiritually. You know, there was always this physical to spiritual parallel, even the old law to the new law, but in this baptism for the dead, there wasn't any parallel for it at all. You know, it, it doesn't seem like there was something similar that was done in the olden days and now there's something done in the new days. It was just this thing that, according to the historians, was done by people who didn't get it. And so the fact that it crept up in our day, it's kind of of no, it's, it shouldn't surprise us because what crept up at the same time was polygamy, which was maybe allowed in the Old Testament, not for righteous reasons. Again, that was a broken law. It was a dead law for men who were stiff-necked and, you know, all these different things were done away. But so polygamy had its contrast where monogamy was, which was from the beginning, but it was only allowed, you know, in the New Testament times for that very reason to show the contrast, one God, one church. But again, baptism for the dead just never had a any kind of a parallel to it, you know, that I can see anyhow. Yeah. the It's a, when you think about it, it's just kind of silly. Uh, yeah. But also the Book of Mormon clearly talks about how little children that die that aren't baptized are saved, that those that die without a law um, won't be held accountable. And so if someone perhaps died without the opportunity to be baptized or understand, then the Book of Mormon teaches that you're, you're covered by Jesus and his blood. Exactly. And that you're, you have the opportunity to be clean. And uh, for those that <clears throat> we believe that the eternal life story, for those that die without uh, 
having been baptized, whether they were young or not accountable or didn't have the law, that they will still be resurrected and have a, a time to be judged according to flesh, it says, in that they'll have a time to choose and, and by their actions and choices desire uh, to follow him. Yeah. yeah. But um, the, you can't say – it, it kind of gets into that thing where – he says it's an abomination what they were doing about you know having to contend over little children being baptized in the Book of Mormon. And he says this abomination, you know, this this makes the sacrifice of Christ, you know, almost like well that then what did he do then? I mean, he they teach specifically don't don't make this uh, you're taking baptism out of context, basically. That's, that's such a good point. And so the same thing with the dead. It's like you're taking this out of context. I wow. Mean, that, that, that is so true. It's like he, he, he brings up a whole chapter to say how you don't get the atonement of Christ if you're thinking you got to do this for children. Well, so how much more for people who died without the law? Right. right? Wow. Completely contrary wow. to that. Wow, that's such a good point. That, that really kind of nails it that the Book of Mormon in that, context would be teaching against what became this notion of baptism. Mm-hmm. And I say notion because it really wasn't doctrine or gospel because he's they're they're essentially saying, hey, we gotta baptize these people who, you know, died. And maybe they, you know, somehow it was like, I guess tied in with baptism for the dead. It was like, oh, they made a decision on the other side. So now they have to be baptized. And it's like it just I don't know. <clears throat> but what a great way to use the very word of God to then contradict any lie or any other gospel. So, so when someone comes to you and says your church is, you know, you're built on this, this, these wicked practices, and and we reject quote Mormonism because of these things like baptizing for the dead. It's like, yeah, I reject it too. The Book of Mormon rejects it. It's very clearly stated that the atonement of Christ has no power. Then, if if you have to baptize people that didn't have a chance or, or children who died without being baptized. It, it contradicts all of that. And mm-hmm. so you use the word of God to, to show the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe if we become more skilled in it, <clears throat> we can, we can do that more effectively. I was speaking with someone who we both know recently who said he was going to the book of Mormon foundation store in independence one day. And as he's about to push the door open and go in, he said, someone was walking by on the other side of the street and just shouted at him, you're not going to be a God, you know. <laughs> this is funny. We should, we should get him to tell this story. But he shouts back, I know it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but it's, it's funny because, you know, he's some stranger sees someone going to the Book of Mormon <clears throat> Foundation store and assumes you think you're going to be a God with your own planet or something. Again, these, <laughs> these notions of people. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, they, they, don't, they don't know what we know. And sometimes we don't know what we know or should know unless we come back to the word. And this is where it all begins. It's like, We've been given this beautiful book, like you said, it came from Nephi's hands. It went through one person to us, and it's like mm-hmm. we've got this beautiful, pure word of God, and it's it's beautiful. It's refreshing. It, it tells the story, and it's not confusing. And I just I treasure it every day. I just I can't get enough of it. It makes you wonder. I always go back to that revelation given uh, after the Book of Mormon was published, just just a matter of months afterwards. It says you've already left. Uh, the New Covenant, even the Book of Mormon, and and here's you know if this stuff was going on and they were doing these kind of things, yeah, it's ten it, years later now after that, yeah. Well, this this baptism for the dead, 
this revelation came out in what 31 1831 yeah. uh or am i wrong no 1841 1841 right yeah so yeah, yeah 10 years later mm-hmm. um roughly that if they were doing this of well apparently they didn't return to the new covenant yeah. the book of mormon because if you'd read Mos- is it mosiah that writes all of that on baptism or was it uh, 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 Moroni? Uh, children baptism children Moroni. Uh-huh. okay if they if they had read all of that, they realized exactly what they were doing was making the atonement of Christ worth nothing. Worth nothing. And what an abomination. And then to say that we're going to build a temple where the holiness of God has always dwelt historically, that symbol, that you're going to build a temple so that you can do this ordinance in it. And this ordinance is making uh, the atonement of Christ worth nothing Mm. because you somehow think you have the power to Mm. save through this this baptism, this washing away of sin, my atonement did that. Mm. This this is for the people that to to be obedient unto me and to come unto me. Mm. Wow. wow! But but now you're gonna, and that's boy when that's your church's mission and work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then not under not only that, but the other uh, ordinances that were introduced into the temples after that. Um, right. ceilings and and celestial marriage, everything and, and these endowments and the secret handshakes and and I think a lot of it comes from the basis of this these ordinances that were supposed to be given yeah. that in this revelation, which I believe remained in yeah. the LDS. So to our LDS friends who are listening, you know, we we love you and and respect all the good things you believe and do and and. Yet none of us can change the history of our the common history that we have. But I will say this, that you have to question. I mean, it seems to me that <clears throat> one thing that people are kind of told, at least from my outward view in in the LDS world, is that, hey, you believe the Book of Mormon is true. <clears throat> you believe the Doctrine and Covenants is true. You can't question any prophets. And, and, you know, and that's like the first rule. You just have to accept it even if it doesn't make sense. And don't worry, it'll get reconciled later in your mind once you know more. And it's like, I I take it as, you know, we can question anything that seems the Book of Mormon, or I mean, the Bible says, hey, ju- trust not every spirit. You know, that's First John 4. Believe not every spirit that comes to you. We have to realize that people have risen and fallen in their same lifetime who have been, you know, yet handpicked by God to do certain things. And we, we realize there are times in everyone's life when you walk very closely. There are times in our lives when we don't always walk closely. We seem to feel that once God puts his hand on someone in a major way that they can never err again. And that's the perhaps the place where it's like, man, we need we need to be close in the spirit so we can judge correctly because it's easy to to then just write it all off and say, oh, well, none of it must be true. That's what the naysayers want us to do is say, you can't believe any of it because look at this, this doesn't jive. And so we come to this place where it's like, then we're stuck trying to figure out how does it reconcile because this guy has to be right and everything he's ever written or said, or could it possibly be that someone has made a mistake, but we're just so close to all the details we, we don't know how to choose. And so it's like, it's, I was just going to say the Book of Mormon concludes with an interesting counsel because it sounds so simplistic, but it says this is the way to judge. Everything that leads you to Christ to do good is of Christ, and things that don't lead you to Christ aren't of Christ. That's Moroni's counsel after he finishes up this counsel about the baptism. And I look at what you just said, Mike, about if if you believe somehow this, that 
baptism for the dead was required, it, it negates or minimizes the atonement of Christ. It's like it was, it was for nothing. And it's in the same way. If these things, baptism for the dead, lead you to believe that somehow this was required, it's, 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 we're not judging that. It's not leading us to Christ. It's not leading us to see all the merits of Christ and all his worthiness and all the goodness that he's done. It's making it seem like somehow it's back on our worthiness to do this for him. And that's not leading us to Christ. Yeah, a couple of our thoughts. I was thinking, I feel so free now because we're like yeah. just, just talking because we've already got the official podcast. Yeah, right. so, uh, <laughs> being a little more. Is this uh, a supplement? <laughs> yeah, well, it just feels more relaxed. It does. This is so funny. But I was thinking... Joseph Smith, uh, we believe the gospel, like baptism in the inspired version, was very clearly taught to Adam, and he was baptized. Right. I think the main gospel of salvation and coming back to, to God and Christ through Christ was preached in the very beginning. I think that was there. God gave his word to men and and. and got lost at times through disobedience and the Mosaic law was given, but there were people that were led away 2000 years before Christ to come here that understood the plan of salvation through the atonement of Jesus. His law was laid out from the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. And the thought that in the last days that there'll be some hidden mysteries that no other people knew about to save people and to be in this kingdom or to be in this eternal realm of, is just it's ludicrous. It is. It had to be from the beginning. And when you read the Doctrine and Covenants written in English, you know, given in English, as opposed to the Book of Mormon that was written uh, in long ago by the Hebrew culture and, and the Jews, the people of that culture, Joseph couldn't. If you if you take the the uh, if you take the assumption that Joseph wrote the Book of Mormon on his own, mm-hmm. boy, he sure knew how to write in Hebrew. And that's why I love the the parallelisms and everything. Yeah, his language is different in the Doctrine and Covenants because yeah. he's writing in English and receiving revelation in his language from God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the Book of Mormon is a completely different way. And so if he wrote it, he wasn't even using his own way of speaking or anything. Somehow he was able to to take that spirit of the ancient Hebrew and write in that manner. Yeah. And that's just impossible, in my opinion, for someone of that education level and stature in this eight, rural 1800s. It's funny <laughs> you say that. I was thinking the same this morning. I I was rereading that King Follett sermon, which was not written by Joseph Smith. At least the counts we have were people who are listening to it, writing it in their own words. So you get this. Four Four people, I think. Yeah, four, four different accounts. Right, four different accounts. And so the voice you're hearing is the voice of the transcriber, which may have been a little prairie, hayseed, you know, backwoods. And I'm using that because when I, I, I say that because when I was reading these accounts, they they sound a little backwards. And maybe that was just the language of the person speaking, but what I was considering was that if this was the manner of Joseph's speech, um, he couldn't have written the Book of Mormon because everyone learns to speak first before they learn to write. You know, it's just how our minds work. Right. We, we hear language, we, we speak it first before we learn to write it. And generally, to be a good writer, you also have to speak well. You know, people, people who don't speak well generally don't write well either. But the point here is that the, the complexity of the Book of Mormon is so complex. When I read that King Follett sermon, I'm just thinking— this doesn't sound like someone whose ideas are all put together and formulated and, and written in a 
precise way to give clarity and meaning. It was like, maybe it was just someone speaking and maybe we give more um, credence to this whole speech than we should have. History, his LDS historians have made a big deal about it, right? But again, I, I guess I took away from that that there was this dichotomy that the Book of Mormon has such clarity and yet written with these complexities of these parallelisms that you could drill into some of them for days and still not see it all. It just couldn't have happened by someone. And and even, you know, of our day, especially when you read just some of the words. So I... Remind uh, remind remind us what the significance of the King Follett sermon is, because I believe this is going to tie in nicely with the baptism for the dead, the philosophy of our foundation. So, so tell me, tell me in your words uh, what you know about that sermon, because people have left the church over this, yeah, as well. Um, I, I guess we haven't really done a podcast on this. I I really am looking forward to teaching a class on this soon too. Well, the King Follett sermon. Was uh, there was a man named King Follett? That was his name. It wasn't about a king. His first a name was funeral king. talk was, or such. Yeah, it was like a funeral speech. the The man had died uh, a horrific death. He'd been crushed or something. Not that that detail matters. But at the sermon, um, there was mention of <laughs> God and gods, and um, not to go through the whole text of it, but people took away from there some ideas about God and being multiple gods and different things. And that comes back to when we started our other previous podcast where I was saying sometimes there was evidence that people in the days of Nauvoo didn't always understand the Hebrew right. Um, This is one of those areas. So this language of Genesis 1 where in the Hebrew this word Bereshith or Bereshit was in the beginning – there's a lot of meaning that comes out of that first sentence. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's how it reads in English. But in the Hebrew, there's much, much more. What happened in that is there's this word head. Like um, in the Elohim, this God's plural, uh, this this Bereshith, in the beginning, God created. Well, in the Hebrew, it meant the head created. Uh, and this idea was put forth in this King Follett sermon that head, Joseph Smith said, like the head God, like there was this council of God because he says, I, you know, in, we uh, let us make man in our image. Well, in, if it was correctly transcribed, Joseph Smith was taking this word rosh, which appears within these words, uh, without going into the Hebrew, how it couples little roots together. You see the root meanings of words. One of them is head, but the word head doesn't. It could mean like the leader of, like the CEO of, you know, the executive team. Mm-hmm. But head also means the beginning, which they said was the more important. definition in this context was it says head was also like the beginning of a river which is exactly what the head of the river right which is exactly trailhead and 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 this is why it's beautiful in the book of mormon when it, it proves the authenticity of nephi's vision he sees this tree of life which represents the love of god but next to it he says i saw this fountain of pure water this head this beginning of water coming and that also represented the love of god and, and the point is this, that this head was misinterpreted from the Hebrew, at least if that was Joseph Smith's doing or someone in his day. 
And they thought it meant, oh, he's like the lead God and there's many gods. It didn't mean that at all. It meant he was the beginning. He was the very beginning. And the head meant the the source or the originator. So later in the Book of Mormon, I believe it's Samuel the Lamanite, because it's in the Book of Helaman, uh, he talks about, uh, he uses this phrase, our great and eternal head, to refer to God. Well, that's exactly what this Bereshith was getting at, too, is that he was the eternal beginning. And so... <clears throat> um, there's a lot about the language. Um, we, sh- we could probably do a whole podcast on this at some point. Just the first three verses of Genesis that go into some beautiful illustration, if you get into what the Hebrew means, about what it meant when God was saying, let us create man in our image and, and this whole creation story. It's told so beautifully. And if you, if you start seeing what the Hebrew words meant in a way that we have never heard in our day, never heard in the church, and it's, it just corroborates everything the Book of Mormon says. That's exciting again, how the Book of Mormon is like this roadmap and to understanding the Bible. And then as, as knowledge expands on the, the Hebrew culture and language that the Bible, uh, you're able to understand that, and you say, "Well, the Book of Mormon's already told us this plainly." Yes, but now we're figuring it out in the Bible. Yes. So back to so King Follett's yeah, sermon. Yeah, yeah. What were some other things in there that uh, because this goes along with a lot of how the religion changed based on this funeral address? Yeah, for for some people it did. So one of the things said in this King Follett sermon, well. <laughs> There's four different people who transcribed it, and I think all four of these went on to Utah polygamous shortly after this. But and then, yeah, I think I believe Brigham later combined all of the all of those, and then into some revelation or the accounts. Kind of they cleaned it up, and yeah, exactly. So it it states this: I'm going to inquire after God, so that you may know God. That persecution may cease concerning me. These are all supposedly Joseph Smith's words. I go back to the beginning to show what kind of being God was. I will tell you here, O earth, God who sits in yonder heavens is a man like yourselves. That God, if you were to see him today, that holds the worlds, you would see him like a man in form, like yourselves. Uh, Adam was, go on the next page here, made in his image and talked with him, walked with him. Now, you could take that exactly from the Book of Mormon where the Lord's finger appears to the brother of Jared, and then he says, show yourself to me, and he says, behold, I'm Jesus Christ. You know, if, if you if you have that understanding, this may be related to that, but I think other people took it a totally different way. From this single idea came what later became known as the Adam-God theory, that men progressed to become gods, right? And this is where you know the LDS tradition went kind of on steroids and took this times 10 and built new ideas behind it. They all came from Brigham later. But I think if just taking Joseph Smith's words on what he's saying is, is it could still all be wrong, but there is some credence to when, when God appears in man and form to the brother of Jared, he shows himself that his body says, this is the body, my spirit that's coming to earth. Right. Maybe that's what he meant. But there's sim- there was a lot that got derived from this later by people who went to Utah saying, oh, okay, so we all have the chance to become gods and have our own planets and universes and all this. No, that's nothing Book of Mormon. That's nothing, you know, of the of the original doctrine. That was what was implied after this. I that theory breaks down when when you think about that because then God came from another godparents who came from another god parents and at some point 
you say, well, then how was there a beginning? And we could say that as well, other than God is eternal and outside of time and always was. I am the beginning and the end. But you can't be the beginning and the end if you came from somebody else who was there before you. Mm -hmm. And so they they say that that's just for our understanding of this world and things will be revealed later. And that's what, then you get back to those hidden mysteries that aren't made known to us. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't buy into that. Here's one of, here's another thing. He even mentions this word Bereshith, which was the Hebrew. But again, I, I question the, maybe the total understanding that people in that day, we know people understand Hebrew now and you know, the, this century than they did back then. Better, much better, right? Right. But then he uses this word Bereshith. We got to do a podcast on this, Mike. Bereshith in the beginning, analyze the word in it and through the head. Now remember, Bereshith is the Hebrew words that meant in the beginning when God created. Uh, Analyze it and through the head, an old Jew added the word bath. It read the head one of the gods. Now this doesn't mean that this uh, he says, I'm going to transpose it into the English language. I want you to know and learn that the Holy Ghost knows something. The Grand Council set it head and contemplated the creation of the world. See, even just this language right here, I don't know if this was this person. This was Willard Woodruff. He was one of the council who went to Utah. I don't know if this is just his words in putting it to Joseph Smith or if these are actually Joseph's specific words. But I want you to know and learn that the Holy Ghost knows something. That would never be written in the Book of Mormon. You know, you just, you, it's so much, it's got such more powerful language. This just sounds kind of, well, it is what it is. Nevertheless, here's where he goes with the interpretation of Bereshith. I want you to know and learn that the Holy Ghost knows something. The Grand Council set at the head and contemplated the creation of the world. Some will say the scriptures say so-and-so, but I will show you a text out of the old book containing the four languages. The German is here, and what does the text say? And then it's, he's translating the German, uh, something son of Zebedee and doc, Zebedee, doctor of law, blah, blah, blah. Anyhow, this is what he's concluding. He says, I thank God for the old book, but more for the Holy Ghost. The gods came together and concocted the plan of making the world and the inhabitants. Having a knowledge of God, we know how to approach him and ask, and he will answer. Um, So again, this whole idea that there was this council of gods, um, this is incorrect. Because of the word head, meaning, well, there has to be a head of a company. There had to be other people that were right. there, but one was in charge. Right. And um, like I so said, we'll, I want to do a whole podcast on this bear sheet. It's amazing what they understand about it now. But it actually, when he says, let us make man in our image, one of the things about it is this word Elohim, which we've talked about before, is the the plural word for God, but it doesn't mean plural in quantity. It means plural in quality because Majesty, that was perfectly yeah. perfectly doable in the in the Hebrew. Well, also the word create, where it says God said, "Let us create me in our image." Elohim was a plural, but the word create in the let me see if I can draw an example. If I if I made this statement, I run to the store and buy groceries. Right. Now, most people who speak decent English are going to say, eh, that's not the right word. You're not, bide isn't past tense. It's the word bought. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, ran. I, ran, ran, I ran to the store and bought groceries. Well, just as incorrect as that sounds, in the, in the English, 
in the Hebrew, if you have a plural noun, there's a plural verb form to go with every verb. Now, if a noun is plural, the verb has to be plural. If a noun is singular, the verb has to be singular. They have different words, just like bide and bought and rand and run, right? So what, what the point is, is they say, if it was talking about many gods, plural quantity, it would have had to have the plural form of the word create, the verb. And they're saying the, the, the verb form as it appears in Genesis, is the singular form, which meant that it wasn't talking about many gods. It was talking about a god with many qualities. That's that's one of the internal things of the Hebrew that Hebrew scholars look at it and say, this isn't about a council of gods. This is about one god because of the verb that goes with it. It's it's the right verb for a singular, right? But where, where it goes um, wrong here is that they misinterpret that single word and then they say things like the gods came together and concocted a plan of making a world well again mormons have taken this incorrect interpretation of Bereshith, which may have been what joseph smith thought in that day but his understanding of the word Bereshith was incorrect according to the hebrew and and this if that's what happened we we just see how these things have gone and arisen and and turned into other notions from there on and so because again in the lds kind of world you you're not allowed to question anything you got to accept it you take this oh it must be true well maybe he just didn't understand the word right or maybe these people didn't hear it right and wrote it down incorrectly but the fact is the the true meaning of the Hebrew corroborates exactly with what the Book of Mormon says. And in fact, Isaiah writes this. He said, God counseled with no one to create the world. You know, he's, I'm paraphrasing from, right. from Isaiah. But but the point, the point comes back to this, that the language of the Hebrew in any place you find it in the Book of Mormon, or in the Bible, when you come back to the Book of Mormon, it's exactly the same. I mean, it, it explains the, the meaning. It doesn't twist and develop new ideas. What's that word? How does that word us play into that in the English language then? Let, let us make God. Well, here's <laughs> there's there's a, a lot of things. One of these things that happens, and I'll, exp- I'll explain it this way. The first thing is we, we are told that God is, you know, the Father, the, the Son, the Holy Ghost— yeah, I like how Dave said that in his recent sermon, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Exactly. Well, and this is where I, I want to draw in some of these uh, scholars and what they say. I don't have any of them handy right now. But basically, in the first three verses of Genesis, you you see God said, uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then that verse 2, that's verse 1, verse 2 is, and then it said the Spirit of God uh, rested over the waters. Well, what's interesting, there's a, a, a ancient rabbi named Rashi. He's more quoted than any other rabbi, like as, as the expert on on the law of Moses, rabbinical things. It's kind of like if you had Thomas Jefferson to explain the Constitution to you, like he was, you know, he's the guy. All right. So Rashi, even who was not a Messianic Jew, he lived about, I think, about 1000 BC, uh, his, his comments come in. Or maybe a thousand eighty. Yes, I'm incorrect. Thousand eighty, but a long time ago. Um, his comments about the Hebrew. He says, "God's spirit rested over the water." He said, "Just like a dove would would uh, float over something." And and 
where do you hear any place in Scripture about a dove? It, well, it's about the Spirit of God descending on Jesus like a dove. So here in the Old Testament, verse 2, you get God's Spirit resting over the waters like a dove. And here in the New Testament, you get Jesus with the Spirit coming down on him. And verse 3 is, then he said, let there be light. And the light goes down and it penetrates the world. And here's the most beautiful thing is that what does John say in the first book of John chapter 1? He said, the, the word became flesh and the word is the light unto us. And the light came into the world and the world rejected it. And when God comes into the world, he brings light. So what came into the world? Jesus came into the world. So you have God the Father in verse 1. You have the Spirit in verse 2 resting over the water. And you have this <laughs> this very beautiful parallel of Jesus being the light that comes to the world in verse 3. They're all represented right there. So where is he saying, let us create? It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. That's, that's what it means, us, because they were all the qualities of God. This is why Jesus says, or, or John records, there's three that bear testimony in heaven, the Father, the, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, right? They were the three at the beginning. It's all the manifestation of God. That's so, what I was, yeah, thinking. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because the, the Bible Project, which I reference a lot, they talk about that word Elohim, and they, they don't, they reject the idea that, they would reject the Mormon idea of God being born by God, but but they give place that there was a God. There was one main. I shouldn't say main. There was God the Father, and that the Elohim, the way they say it, was a word also for like a spiritual beings. And so there were these spiritual beings in the beginning that God. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know that that they use that word when when in times they talk about the pagan gods, they'll say you're Elohim. Right, 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 right. But I don't know that I agree with, um, and that's okay. I don't know that I agree with their interpretation of that either. Um, although I don't know that I have a problem with it, and I haven't watched those videos or listened to those. They have a, actually have the the videos that on on their website that you can watch. It's interesting though that they they came to the conclusion but that there was not like many equal uh gods. Yes. Like yes. this council but there was a there was a main God. And he was and, and there was maybe perhaps other spiritual being we we believe in the spiritual being created first. So but I guess there, there's some differing things, but also a very clear one, one God. Yeah, and again, it all. I think the clearest explanation, and this is why I think we always need to start at the Book of Mormon that we're, with our understanding that word God. It, it's it's a rough word to use because it means too many things in our language. True, true, exactly, exactly. You know, it, but the brother Jared's interaction, he's like hearing from God. You know. Uh, God the Creator and in praying to Him, then all of a sudden He appears to Him and says, "This is the body of My Spirit. I am Jesus Christ." You know, and it's like here you realize that God the Father is so much greater than in power. He His Spirit can't dwell in this existence, or this existence wouldn't exist. It would, you know, oh. <laughs> you know, it, it it just can't survive, right? Uh, so, well, so we can't survive. We it. can't survive. So right. He He came to be with us, right? This is the whole story of creation: is that God. Because a sacrifice needed to be performed, 
he needed to come here and do it. The infinite one had to pay the infinite price. And so it all ties it back into he is just one. It's not three conscious beings. And that's where a lot of people want to differ because of an account given in Genesis 3 in the inspired version. And so you have this beautiful, uh, just this, this, I shouldn't say little story, but just this little snippet, this little glimpse into the creator, clear back in ether, uh, the oldest book or the oldest recordings of the Book of Mormon, um, the first group of people that came over, you get this picture of the relationship. This is the body and my spirit in Jesus Christ. Clear 2,000 years before, <laughs> roughly, yeah, uh, before yeah. he came as a baby, Yeah, you have this picture. So what does the Book of Mormon teach in relation to uh, the King Follett sermon? If it, it clarifies that there were not many <laughs> counsel of gods, right. that there was a body that God would take and be God the Son or the, the Son of God, we call it. Yeah. But, and and Zizram quizzing Alma and Amulek, you know, on this uh, mock trial, it's in uh, Alma chapter 8, around verse 80-something in 90. He even asks him, you know, trying to pin him, he says, is there more than one God? And Amulek answers, no. And he said, but you've said he's the father and the son. And he says, he is, right? He's, he's the one, right? It's all him, right? Yeah, but you really have to wrangle and finesse the word to 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 try to um, bolster your opinion that there's many gods. I'm, I'm thinking about our brothers in the Latter-day Saint faith, uh, the Utah uh, LDS, that you can't, you can't just say, well, things are hidden. We don't understand. Right, right. No, that the purpose of the Book of Mormon is to be plain and precious and clear so we don't stumble. Not not that there's going to be hidden things to come later. Right. And I should we should be clear, this is a, a little different scenario, this King Follett sermon, than when we talked about baptism for the dead, section 107. This, this was, a, like we said, a sermon, and we don't know. It wasn't like Joseph wrote would wrote this down or spoke it as a revelation. This is a sermon and it's recorded by four other people. Yep. Uh, and I don't know how you, where are you getting your resource right now? Is that the Joseph Smith papers website or? Yes. Yes. So this is actually uh, f- uh, scanned in original documents. Is yeah. that correct? This website. So it's not, you can go on there and read it as, and I think it's, uh, don't they also type it up so it's easier to read, but you can see the original, exactly. uh, the actual original notes. It's a pretty fantastic resource. Oh yeah. Someone's put a lot of time in creating this. Yeah. And I, I like that. What you just said, Mike, it's like, you know, to LDS friends and listeners, just come, come around to this, that it's, it's okay to, to listen to what John had to say and said, don't believe every spirit. Um, this idea that man can be fallible helps solidify our faith so we do know what to hold on to. Otherwise, you open yourself up to anything. You open yourself up to any idea that, you know, this is why I know for some in the LDS church, they're still trying to wrestle and wrangle with how polygamy fits into this celestial idea because it all had to be right. And it's like, well, what if some of it was wrong? Mm-hmm. And, and what if what if there wasn't this council of gods and we don't go and have these planets? These were all notions that were added by people after the Book of Mormon. What if, what if we come back and say, salvation isn't about all these extra things I have to do in order to 
land in the celestial kingdom. What if salvation is that I have to trust in the merits of Christ who, if I come to him with a broken heart and contrite spirit, removes my sin and I'm restored to him. You know, that's, that's the message of the gospel. And there's, there's no extra thing that goes with that. You know, I, I just I just feel like the the answer comes back to us coming back and reading this plain truth that's been given in the Book of Mormon. Yeah, and and when it when we we are told that the Gentiles have rejected the fullness of the gospel, we, I think we've talked before. I I don't know that that means that we're <laughs> that the Gentiles are just out, which we are becoming this very debase, uh, crude, yes. sinful culture, but. We reject the simple truths. The Christians reject the simple truths of of who God is and the atonement that's laid out in the Book of Mormon. When we when we go into all of these other ideas and and baptisms for the dead, um, these these people reject uh, Joseph and the Book of Mormon because there was a sermon recorded that. Um, talks about many gods and, and other things that become doctrine. And, and the answer to that is, yeah, absolutely. If that was, if that's really true, then we can't, we can't accept that because the book of Mormon, uh, speaks clearly against that. And you use the basis for your religion, which is the foundation, which is the fullness of the gospel in the book of Mormon to, to, uh, that's your, that's your foundation, and that's what you use to to talk to the critics and, and to those that leave the church because they can't um, align the two things. And it's like you're never supposed to align any other gospel with <laughs> with your religion. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, just as Paul said, uh, any other gospel being preached to you, let it be cursed. And that's 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 the simple answer to that. It, it is. And you it, don't have to throw everything out it's like no yeah if joseph got off and disagrees with the book of mormon then mm-hmm. yeah absolutely you can't accept it don't try to mold it in and make it fit no and then and then also don't rest in and i i don't know maybe this isn't true but don't just rest in well there's a whole lot of us that believe this way and our church has a lot of money and a lot of nice buildings and and it's like don't rest in that either just saying well there's power in numbers you know so we won't have this conversation with anyone we just know we're right and we're going to go on our way it's like just come back to what started this whole movement and it's this these plates that came out of the ground that had the fullness of the gospel and it's like nothing more nothing less that's what Jesus said yeah the church will remain under condemnation because you've left the new covenant even the mm-hmm. book of mormon mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm teaching again this Sunday, and I don't know if this airs before or after, but uh, had a good conversation with the, the pastor at the congregation. I'm saying, you know, I want you to share these things about what we're talking about is this notion that kind of arrived at this same time period in Nauvoo, that of this infinite level of salvation and everything, versus the Book of Mormon that says, hey, you're ultimately restored with, to God or you're not. And the amazing thing is the Doctrine and Covenants teaches that same thing as well. It's just we've been taught to miss to read it differently. And and it's refreshing when you see that no, all these texts teach that. But nevertheless, um I just find that again, when we come back to the Book of Mormon on all these issues, whether it's salvation or who God is or, you know, how many gods and all these things, the Book of Mormon is where we need to begin. And when we start there, we'll be on a solid foundation. 
we'll we'll understand the truth and and then we can read the bible with clarity and and i'm not saying don't read the bible i didn't mean it that way you, you can start reading with the bible but i've found that if i want to understand doctrine i go like to read the new testament i find that if i read the book of mormon first i'll understand what paul was saying about the law being done away and christ you know and and all these other things that are talked about in both books mm-hmm. i just find the understanding comes easier there works and grace and faith yeah right 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 those are the main topics of the new testament it seems they're all explained so well so so I, it's important in our religion our our uh I don't want to say version, our path of the fullness of the gospel, you know, whether you call it the the LDS who became the RLDS, the community of Christ, the restoration branches, but our sect of the of the restored gospel, we have to be careful not to try to take a a, a square peg and put it in a round hole as well and try to make it fit. And that's always been a challenge for me as the classical um, story of salvation that I grew up with during the during the um, missionary materials that were put out by the church um, teaching that that you are separated that some people are separated from God not in hell but in in a salvation type state in the kingdom but but not able to be in his presence uh, whether telestial or terrestrial that I you, you can't try to have to make that fit along with the story of salvation already contained in the scriptures. Yeah. And we, we could be guilty of the same thing, just like uh, people leave the church over the King Follett sermon or over baptism for the dead. And because you say, well, the whole thing's wrong then. Well, is it, you know, let's, let's look at what it's actually saying. But yeah, you, you have the only thing you have to make it fit with is the gospel that's already been given. And if it doesn't fit the way, you look at it, then how can you accept that as gospel mm-hmm. or doctrine? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You got to come back and know what's true first. Otherwise, you know, you, you start there, start with, you know, if you want to understand life after death, you don't start at section 76. Although I think for a lot of our people, that's where it began. Right. Because, you know, cottage meetings, Go You and Teach was pretty good at saying, hey, you want to know about the cool thing our church teaches? Well, don't worry, you'll be judged by your works and you're going to go to some place that you'll be happy and, and see you don't just go to hell. And it's like, well, that's not actually what the Book of Mormon or the Bible or even the Doctrine and Covenants taught, but that's where we began. So I, I just think it's such a treasure that we've got this word that's clear and it's capable of conveying true thought, you know, in, in this Book of Mormon. And... Um, and all of our organizations would do well to turn back to it and, and to realize it's the source and it's a it's a pure word of God to us. Remember the covenant, Book of Mormon. Yeah. God's promise to us, God's uh, plain and precious word to us to come forth. And, and I just feel so blessed that this book has been around less than 200 years, and yet it's thousands of years of history and... Um, insight and understanding by men who heard the gospel from from God to the angel's messenger to the to the mind of men to metal, and for us to to read it, it's only been around for less than two hundred years, Corey. And why, why, why are we so blessed? And what is its purpose for? For all of that effort that God put into making sure truth was preserved, 
to come forth at this time in the history of the world, at the very end, really, at the very last days mm-hmm. of time, this gospel comes forth. What are we going to do? Are we going to pay heed to it, or are we going to continually leave it and stumble? You know, that word stumble, Nephi saw this word came to the Gentiles because the Gentiles would stumble. But ultimately, he sees that even the Gentiles who received it stumbled. And this is the comfort, is that I don't know what our full purpose is and why you ask this great question. Why in the last days and why to us? This, You know, why? But somehow, whatever our missteps have been, it ends up back in the hands of the original covenant people, the, the lineage of Joseph. It ends up back in the house of Israel. And they see it for what it is. Someday they they don't see. I don't. I really don't believe it's going to come with a bunch of our history. I don't think we're going to be the authorities who teach it to them. I don't think we're going to. I'll just say I don't think we're going to bring the doctrine and covenants or the history of the restoration so much to it. I just think they're going to receive this word and they're going to say, "This was written by our forefathers. This turns us to Christ." And they're going to turn to Christ and they're not going to turn away from him. And they're going to be so solid in him that the world's going to take notice. And so somehow when that happens, all these other covenants begin to unfold. And I, and I look forward to that day. So that's, and that's my main, I think that's the main point on why I fixate and why I think we talk about it, even though we may not say it plainly, the salvation in section 76 and the Book of Mormon and trying to get the story correct. I don't think it's, uh, I don't know how many of our people have died understanding the way it's been taught. And I don't think it matters it if they didn't know. And no. I'm not worried about the salvation of them. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned for people such as myself and others who struggle with uh, righteousness and wondering, are they good enough? Are they is Christ able to save them from their sinful selves? And I, I know, I just know enough now that I know all people aren't put together that way to continually question it. And, right. and I love, uh, I could think of a couple of good sisters actually that have such a, just a, a simple Christ, like just a simple childlike faith in Christ. And I don't think this even plays into the, to their, like, they just, they just want to be with they Jesus, just, like all of the people, you know, Mary at his feet. I just want to be with Jesus, and and that's really what it's all about. But what what I think is important is how can we can't take the gospel to other people. We can't take this Book of Mormon to other people if we if we don't have the plan of if we if we're confused on the plan of salvation and if you i can't imagine this gospel going to the house of israel and and them being taught that you're not going to maybe be with god when you die but, After, but, all, right. but you'll be saved from hell i mean how can you take that message to exactly exactly how can you tell these jews for instance who have been scattered across the world for 2000 years that god is going to come in mighty power and gather you back to zion and then all of a sudden it's like oops but guess what now he's here and you guys don't get to be with him in eternity you go somewhere else but you know it was fun while it lasted or something yeah that's not how the story ends you know it's for anyone who comes to him. Yeah, and that's why I, I just, I wonder if we want to be a part of this great movement in the last days, this gathering and this this um, Zionic endeavors and all of that, 
uh, we've got to uh, understand the um, gift that came forth to the Gentiles to be brought back to the to the Jews. I mean, the whole purpose of this free land and everything was so the Book of Mormon could come forth and the gospel could come forth in the last days. Uh, if we want to be a part of that, we can't leave what it says and and have our own traditions. And I, I was going to say the same thing. We've got to get the story right, and this is why, like you said, you know, like you know, my my wife's one of these who's just like she she loves Jesus and wants to serve people around her every day, and it's like getting into these things. She she doesn't even like these conversations, the King Fallout stuff. You know, she just doesn't want to hear and about it. It's like that's great, yeah. I mean, awesome. I say great, <laughs> right? Exactly, because it's kind of like these are the these are the things that in the end. We we need to move beyond, but the the point is, it like you said, these these promises to the world, when these covenants unfold, they're going to be told by people who understand and see eye to eye. And right now, there's a lot of evidence that the Gentiles who receive these words have moved away from them, or they've been diminished in their understanding, and they don't. and And we can't do a great missionary effort unless we understand who the who the general is and what his objective is. I I understand that we, we want to not, we say we don't want to divide because we've been divided so much as a people and and some, and, and I, it's just really, really a difficult spot to be in, a, a difficult space to be in where um, you are going against uh, traditional teachings, even by men with very prestigious names, the last name Smith and uh, other other officials high up in an organization um, that's a hard place to be to look at traditional teachings and say, is this the word of God without causing some division or uncomfortableness, mm-hmm. but is our, and, and is our purpose as a people to preserve our unity uh, at all costs, no matter how small we are, or is our purpose to take the gospel to the world? Yeah. Yeah. It, the the ultimate purpose is not just to prevent strife among us. It's to take the word of God, the gospel, to the world. And and truth, no matter it's it's the word says it's 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 sharp and powerful, more powerful than a two edged sword mm-hmm. to the dividing asunder of joint mm-hmm. and marrow. Mm-hmm. The true truth, the true truth, the truth of God divides sometimes bodies and 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 bodies of people, but it doesn't divide the the church of Jesus who is seeking him with all their heart. It brings them together in yeah. unity. But but if you're wanting to seek things after our own pride or our own understanding, then it is it will divide us. But yeah. but so how do we how do we make preserving our quote unity, how do we place that above taking the true gospel story as it is and, and trying to learn what it is and come to an understanding. That's that's the big You know, there's task. an inter- interesting parallel. You can see it a couple places in, in history. When the Jaredite civilization lived in the Americas, God said there would be none greater. And, you know, we see this ancient evidence which predates the Nephites and predates the uh, the American Indians and whatnot, where these mound cultures, whatever, they this society was huge. It spanned through North and South America. There was a cohesive government, and and the Book of Mormon says there would be none greater. It was a it was a nation of people larger than any nation today, at least geographically and, and connected. 
but they fell away. And the only thing that survived from them was one prophet who had a set of plates who left them 24 plates about that civilization, left them in a plates where the, where the next generation was going to find them, the Nephites who found this set of plates, right? And then, and then that prophet's gone, you know. He, um, the, I, I see a parallel in that in the end, we have this great Gentile civilization which had great power and might and everything. And for all the good we thought we had, even within our church, that isn't what survives. What's going to survive is the word of God, just like these plates of, of, limb, of uh, ether that got left and found by the next generation who benefited from them. And I have a feeling, not that we're all going to be gone. I don't mean that at all. I, 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 but I mean, in a spiritual sense, the only thing that's going to get passed down is this word of God back to them. I think, I don't think it comes with our knowledge uh, or their knowledge of ours. You know, when they found these plates, they didn't know about the people other than there was a bunch of bones on the ground. Um, but they learned about it through the plates. In the end, it's just like the word of God, this pure God, purely became the word made flesh. And it's going to be only the pure word of God that comes to them and converts them. And I, and I just think somehow this, you know, this, this idea that, I don't know, whatever we're doing in our life right now, however we've sidestepped, we need to fix that to fix ourselves. But God's not waiting on us either to get it straight. I think in his own timetable, this, this word goes back to those people, uh, just like, the, the cool dreams you told me about off air where all these people had this common experience at once and it all came down where they didn't know it, but God was working with each one of them on his timetable to do something with precision to help somebody. And, and the only reason I share that is simply because in this same manner, God's working right now that the precision with which his word is going to return to his people is going to happen and it's going to be powerful. And whether we get this story straight as the Gentiles who received the this restored gospel, um, I think, is almost immaterial in the end. Well, my focus is I want, as you just said, the only thing that survived was that word of God. And the only thing that's going to be surviving our legacy, Corey, my life, your life, is is going to be the people that we touch, the lives that we touch by sharing the word of God, not, not our you know, sharing that truth that's what's going to remain mm-hmm. that's why i want to i want to be able to speak it and tell it as it is andrew peterson one time in a concert said uh he looks back at his early music career of course so many of those concerts recorded and snippets recorded and he thought boy i i you know at different times thought he knew so much about god and, mm-hmm. and he was almost embarrassed at the pretentious uh the the way he you know would maybe preach a little or tell these things and how you're your ideas change over time. But he yeah. said, one, one thing I never regretted was, was when I just spoke the word of God and mm-hmm. not myself. And those moments were never wasted mm-hmm. on me or, or the people. And, uh, that's what, that's what I hope we do here is just discuss the word of God and any truth that's in it uh, will hang on and, and touch people. Yeah. And the rest, I just want to go away and not, not have them, <laughs> remember <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah we're, we've all been there i continue to be there yeah. well uh so this was interesting we we talked i guess the main topic again was just the foundation and and what it is and yeah. and the fact that the book of mormon is very clearly written in that that language that god uses that style and it is i think so reliable 
It is, and it's this rod of iron that if we hold on to it, we will all walk each other home and be found in the loving arms of our Heavenly Father. Amen. 